15 years ago, I dropped plans to go to law school to pursue a career in news. I had three reasons. Ever since I was a kid, I loved telling stories. Second, the reporting I'd already done convinced me that I could more profoundly impact a person's life telling their story than from inside a law firm. And finally, news is exciting. On any given day, you never know what you're going to get. That's never more true than when you jump into a lengthy investigation such as this one, which has felt like a maze where the pathways and walls change during the game, where every lead has the potential to be a new bombshell. Well, the surprise in this story came one morning in September as I was working on the final edits for this podcast. My cell phone rang. It was a number I didn't recognize. I almost didn't answer it, thinking it was a spam call. Turns out, it was Sister Susan. The Sister Susan, who drove Donna's car back to Florida. The Sister Susan, who was named at the Attorney General's press conference. She heard I wanted to speak with her, and she was not happy. We spent almost an hour talking. She didn't trust me at first. But after a while, I convinced Sister Susan to agree to an on-the-record interview. Then I hung up the phone and booked my flight. I can't tell you where I went because Sister Susan had asked for anonymity and that I not disclose her location. That was a request I agreed to because she's never been named a suspect in the murders and there's no indication she did anything wrong at this point in time. Within two days, I was on location with a news crew and on the way to a hotel to meet Sister Susan. So I don't know about you, but I need a coffee. <laughs> I think we need to head and get some. <laughs> I am exhausted. You know, I mean, it was only 48 hours ago that I even knew this interview was happening. So you had to jump on a plane like almost immediately. Exactly, that's right. It's, it's kind of been pretty crazy here. I was in my apartment doing some writing and I got a phone call and it was Sister Susan. And I had been wanting to talk to Sister Susan since January when I first got on this story. I didn't know where to find her. I didn't know what her real name was. And this was really an unexpected turn of events that I just could never have predicted. And it was just totally wild and completely, completely unexpected. And I'm really glad that she's decided to come and, and, and tell me her story and her version of events. Um, and so we'll see what happens. We'll continue with our story after this short break. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As tired as I was, I was fully prepared for this moment. I knew the facts of the case backward and forward, and I was ready to get at the truth. Sister Susan and I greeted each other in the lobby of the hotel. She was dressed in a white tunic and white pants. She was polite and affable, and we made our way up to the room where our crew had set up to record our sit-down. Here is the unvarnished interview with Sister Susan. When did you join the Christ family? I had just turned 21, Okay. and I was praying with all my heart 
to give my whole life to God. And he said to me one day, and I knew it was him, there was no denying it, he said to me, if you really mean it, open the Bible and do exactly what it says. So I did, and it said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, go to the highways and byways, and tell the people the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Take no shoes, no script, no change of clothes, no purse worthy of a thief. Well, first thing I thought was, you want me, a woman, alone to walk out my front door in my bare feet? And I heard clear as a bell, yepper. So I did. I uh, gave two weeks notice on my job, uh, gave everything I had away, and I was ready to walk out my front door. And the adventure began then. I traveled all over the world, different places, mm -hmm. north in the summer, south in the winter. It was the adventure of a lifetime. And we lived on the premise of no killing, no sex, and no materialism. Um, no killing meaning making a commitment to trust God to protect you, to lay your life down rather than to hurt anyone else. Do you feel as if the Christ family has been misunderstood? Of course. <laughs> of course, you know, my life has been wonderful and beautiful. And what I don't see is that the, the news people don't come to the good people. When I heard all these things on the news, it's like, Dang, how did they get such a bad opinion of me? So let's get to the real reason why I'm, we're even talking. It's about this couple, Dean and Tina Klaus, who we know had joined the Christ family at some point, and you were the person who drove the, the car, car mm -hmm. back to Florida to Donica Sasanta, Dean's mother. Had you ever met Dean and Tina Klaus? No. First off, I want to say, uh, Dean and Tina, when they joined the Christ family, they gave their life. So they really are saints. Dean signed a notarized paper about giving up the child. Tina was the one that took the child to the church with another sister. To give up your child, it wasn't forever. Mm -hmm. It was just supposed to be while they went on a pilgrimage to learn about God and Christ. Dean had already met the brothers in Florida and traveled with them for a little while before he went back and married Tina and, got, and had the child. So he already knew the brothers. And when he decided to come back into the family, it was a free will choice. It was nothing. Nobody made anybody do anything. You know, all the wild stories on TV Oh, they separate the men and the women. Oh, they make you give up your kids. That wasn't it at all. There was plenty of people that tried to take their kids on the road and found it very inconvenient. So it wasn't like you hear on the news, mm -hmm. um, oh, you just dump your kids. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that lived the life of Christ and were on the road reunited with their kids, reunited with their family. Mm -hmm. There was no thing that, oh, you have to never talk to your parents again. I talked to my parents the whole time. Mm -hmm. The whole time I was on the road, I would call them up. Mm -hmm. um, if anybody wanted to get away from the Christ family, it was easy. You just walked away. There was times when I just, I decided I wanted to leave, and I said, okay, brothers, I'm in the wind. And I just needed to walk away. It was not like anybody was compelled to do this, all mm -hmm. this stuff. How did you come to learn about the notarized paper that Dean had signed? Well, I talked to the lady that notarized it. There was a sister who was a notary, and before Dean hit the road with the brothers, he wanted to sign a paper to make it legal. 
I don't know what kind of paper they drew up. I wasn't there. You spoke to the woman who notarized the paper, and what did she say? Oh, yeah. Well, there was a sister that was around, like, the core group a lot. Mm -hmm. And so uh, people that had a lot of possessions, she became a notary to help mm -hmm. in those situations. Mm -hmm. Well, oh, you want to sell your car? Okay, here's, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was just a handy thing to have. Mm -hmm. And so she was kind of at the core of, like, in the camp. She would mm -hmm. hang out in camp quite a bit because mm -hmm. it was a service that she provided for people. Mm -hmm. You knew one of the women who went to the church. Why don't we ex explain that a little bit? I think I know. Nobody remembers. Nobody knows exactly who was with Tina when they went to the church to give the baby up for adoption. But you're certain it was Tina? I can't say beyond a doubt. Um, I, I believe it was. I believe that the girl that she went with is dead. She died a long time ago. She was older than us. And so I'm pretty sure she passed on. That's why we don't have a, another witness to that. Where were you in the fall of 1980? There was camps all over the place. Okay. But this particular one, it was on the river, the Colorado River, and it was on the border between Arizona and California. Um, you go on the I-10 and you hop off at that Arizona first exit and you go 13 miles down the river. Mm -hmm. And it was just out in the middle of nowhere. It was very beautiful. Um, they had a couple of buses that they had a kitchen and a place you could rest. And then we had tents set up. And wow, talk about paradise. You know, you go and you, you meet up with others. You talk about your stories and what's happened in this and that. How many and, people were there? Well, at that time, I would say oh, between 30, 50, 60. You know, yeah. every day was changing because there'd be two or three people coming in every day, mm -hmm. uh, two or three, 10, 20, mm -hmm. and leaving. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, it was just a very uh, easygoing, pleasant in and mm -hmm. out. Some people stayed there, like a man stayed there all year because so many people wanted to meet him and so many people, people came from all over the world. To meet him. To meet him, mm -hmm. yeah. They heard about him, you know, like one of the brothers. He was uh, following some guru-like in, in India, and he heard, and he came all the way from India and came, and, wow. you know, became a brother. Wow. There's, oh. That's yeah. wild. It was uh, exciting, really. And so this time period was when? It was probably the end of October because it was still really warm. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't freezing cold yet. You know, that's why we went south, right? I don't remember much about dates or times. I mean, you're just guessing. You're not sure. Right. Okay. So you get to the camp. Dean and Tina had been there, left the car, and had gone in the wind. In the wind. In the wind. Uh, that's okay. what we used to say. Instead okay. of saying goodbye, we would always say we're in the wind. So mm -hmm. then what happened next? I got to camp a couple days or a week after Dean and Tina had been there. They came in the car and because they were liquidating, that's what we called it, when you give everything away, um, they, they asked, you know, will somebody take this car back to my mom? Mm -hmm. And so I came into camp and somebody said, hey, does anybody want to take this car back to Florida? I said, I will. I didn't meet them. She went with another sister and uh, Dean went out with the brothers. When I showed up in camp, they were already gone. I've already talked to the investigators and they know we didn't have anything to do with it. The Christ family is nonviolent, you know. Um, so for people to accuse us of being a part of that, their murder, no, that's not real. That's not true at all.
now we can go back to the car. Who asked you to take the car back? Do you remember? Was it Lightning Inman who asked you to take it back? Well, it wouldn't surprise me, but uh, it wasn't like anybody ordered me to do it or Lightning Inman will take the car. Right, right, you know, right. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, who wants to? Does anybody volunteer? Anybody want to go to Florida? But would me? he have been the likely person to have asked you or just anybody could have asked you? Anybody could okay. have. It was all volunteer. It was all, nobody ruled over anybody. See, that's one of the biggest things that people don't understand. Um, nobody ruled over anybody else. We were equal. That's why we love to call each other brother and sister. Mm -hmm. uh, if there was something needed done, everybody jumped on it. Mm -hmm. We did so many projects together. It was a blast. Mm -hmm. So getting back to the car, all I remember is somebody, somebody said, hey, you know, anybody want to take the car back? And we volunteered. So we got in the car that morning and headed out. And I do remember calling Dean's mom and asking her, you know, where, where would you like us? This is what's happening. I do not remember saying your kids don't want to talk to you. And there's no way that I would ever say you have to give me a thousand dollars. That's ridiculous. I did ask her, I did say, you know, if you want, you can chip in for gas money. But of course I ended up paying for the whole thing. Um, because, and it was a wonderful trip by the way. I had such a good time, me and the brother, we just got to fly to Florida, you know. How and long did it take? About five days. You know, we slept at night, we slept in the car, we had our sleeping bags, so we mm -hmm. just rolled out when we were tired. And I remember a couple of things that were just spectacular. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we got to Florida and it wasn't midnight. There's no way I would do that to anybody. I called her again and said, okay, we're here. And we got to the racetrack. I don't, I had no idea where it was. And the next thing you know, we're surrounded by cops. You know, I'm supposed to meet her and she's like agreeing to chip in for gas money. So I'm thinking, okay. And um, you know, now the cops are all around us and they get us out of the car and sit us on the curb. She gets in the car and goes away. I don't think she was there for more than a minute. You know? So you two didn't speak? No. And the cops, they, are, they all knew who we were. The Christ family had been going to Florida for the winter for years, and they had talked to enough of us. And we just told them, you know, what's going on here? And it's like, oh, well, we just brought the car back. So they just set us on the curb until she left. And after she left, they got in the car and they all left. And they just left us sitting on the curb. And it was like, okay. <laughs> We just walked around until, you know, the next thing you know, we're talking, we're on the streets talking to people again. I was really surprised that she wouldn't even ask about Dean or, you know, talk to us at all. Like, don't you even want to know what he's doing or why? You know, and I understand all the cult thing and how a person would think that it would be the worst possible thing, but in honesty, it was the best. It was beautiful and they gave their lives. I'll tell you this, I didn't ask for a thousand dollars. It wasn't nighttime. Uh, I'm nonviolent. You know, I don't blindlessly follow some cult leader. I'm smarter than that. You know, the people that I know in the Christ family love God. Their lives have been so blessed. You know, we're all, thousands and thousands and thousands of people have talked to us over the years. You know, I could say right now, I know hundreds of thousands of people that I've talked to over the last 44 years mm -hmm. about peace on earth. Now, Donna says she remembers a man calling her. 
as far as I know, nobody from my group, nobody from nobody that I was associated with would call and demand money for anything like that. I have totally different memories than she has. Um, I really wish that she would have talked to me. I could have calmed her heart. Her recollection was that she did speak to you and said, I want to talk to my son, and that you said, your son has joined our, our group, he's happy in his new life, you know, no contact, he wants no contact with, with your family. You can see both sides of the story where I could be saying one thing, you know, and of course I wanted her to understand. I could be saying one thing, but because of her fear of uh, the, all the other cults that were around in that time, um, she would hear this. You know, like, oh, your son never wants to talk to you again. Well, that wasn't, wasn't the case. I'm sure he would have got a hold of her sooner or later. No problem. Donna and Donna's daughter, who was there, both say that there were two women with you. Oh. That it was you and two younger women who looked like they could have even been teenagers. See, this is another thing that really gets me, man. Oh, golly. Just the little innuendos, all these little innuendos. It was me and another brother. Young women is what they said. They said they could have been 18, they could have been younger, they looked young. But that it was you and two women, it was three women, and they never mentioned a man, it was three women. No, no. It was just me and another brother. He oh. slept in the front seat, I slept in the back seat. You know, it was like a five-day ride across country. Whoopee! Oh. We were just doing it, we are trying to do a kind thing. We were trying mm. to just uh, take care of business. She even said that the two younger women, she described them as younger women, wanted to speak to her, and that Sister Susan put her hand up and commanded them not to talk. <laughs> sorry, that's not, no, it didn't happen that way. No, I'm sorry, I don't mean to contradict her. I don't want to put her in a bad light at all. But I know for a fact it was just me and another brother. And you know, I wanted to talk to her. Um, I wanted to comfort her, to let her know that her kid wasn't in some crazy cult. And as far as you knew at that point in time, Dean was alive. Oh, I'm sure they were. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they were because it was just a week after they showed up at camp. How upsetting is it to you to know that two members of this group, of your group, a brother and a sister, were savagely killed in this way? Mm -hmm. How do you answer that question? It's heartbreaking. I cry when I see dead animals hit on the side of the road. I love life. I love God's creation. You know, to have a brother and sister, it wasn't just them. You know, you go down in the south and we were all persecuted. You know, here we are in white robes and bare feet. Uh, we were persecuted so heavily. <sighs> All of the different people that I knew and loved, it all breaks your heart. But we laid our lives down. We knew what was going to happen. It, it's not like, uh, oh, this is such a tragedy. This is normal in this world. Mm -hmm. I feel sorry for the people that don't understand. Like I do feel for Dean's mom and her fam the families. Um, in general, the uh, families of the people that joined the Christ family, they didn't understand, in general, uh, some more than others, some a lot less than others. They didn't understand how much we wanted to serve God and why we would do such a crazy thing. 
How do you feel about Holly, who never got to meet her parents? Holly, I just wanted her to know that um, her parents just didn't desert her to join some cult. They laid their lives down for the Lord. The only way that you could do what we do is to really love Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You, can, you don't have the strength to do that unless you do. And I know that Dean and Tina loved Holly. I'm going to ask a few point-blank questions here. Do you know who killed Dean and Tina Klaus? No, but I do know it wasn't the Christ family. We're nonviolent. Do you have any knowledge of the crime? No. Did you have any involvement in this crime whatsoever? None. I had a lot to process here. We'd spoken for hours. Sister Susan had answered many of my questions, but the information she revealed prompted a flood of new questions in my mind. I found Sister Susan was persuasive and compelling, but her version of events differed wildly from Donna Casasanta's recollection. How was I to reconcile those differences? I left my crew and headed to a nearby park. I needed some air, and I wanted to jot down my thoughts in real time. My first thoughts were of Tina. Sister Susan claimed that she was one of the two women who dropped Holly off at the church in Yuma. I had no evidence to corroborate that claim. And by her own admission, Sister Susan wasn't at the church when Holly was dropped off. She claims to have heard about it after the fact. So could this be true? And if it were true, did Tina act under duress? We know how much she loved Holly, how strong her maternal instincts were. So did she fall victim to the coercion Maureen Clark and other cult members spoke to me about? And what about Dean and the notarized document Sister Susan claims he signed? Does that document actually exist? Who notarized it? Someone in the Christ family group? If the document does exist, how could one prove it was really Dean's signature? Also, if Dean and Tina left the camp and went their separate ways, as Sister Susan said, then how did the couple end up together in the woods outside of Houston? Then my thoughts turned to the story about the car. So many of the details Sister Susan provided did not match with Donna's recollection of events. Sister Susan claimed she only asked for gas money. Donna claimed a man called her requesting $1,000. Susan said the meeting happened in the middle of the day. Donna insists it was at night. Susan said she was with one brother from the group when she returned the car. Donna said she was with two other women. And Susan claimed Donna didn't speak to her at all. That she got into the car and drove off in silence. Of all the claims, this one was the hardest for me to believe that Donna Casasanta, of all people, would not ask about her son. As I tried in my mind to reconcile these differences, I thought about the time element in this story. 40 years. It's a heck of a long time. Sister Susan had been with the Christ family since she was 21. 
Returning cars and belongings to people was something she did routinely. So could she be confusing this encounter with another? Donna Casasanta had only one such encounter to remember, and it involved the son she loved. Finally, I wanted to know what the Klaus and Lynn families thought of Sister Susan's claims. I wanted to give them the chance to respond. In a written statement, they said this. We were shocked to hear the statements made by the woman known as Sister Susan in this podcast. For 40 years, the name Sister Susan has been associated with painful memories for the Klaus, Casasanta, and Lynn families. During the encounter at Daytona Speedway, Sister Susan told Donna and Donna's daughter that Dean and Tina wanted nothing more to do with their families. The fact that Donna remembered Sister Susan's name for all these years is further proof that the two spoke to one another. Dean and Tina Klaus were two people with big hopes and dreams, who loved each other dearly, and who were thrilled to be building a family with their baby, Holly Marie. We believe this woman knows more than she's revealing. With respect and prayers for justice, the families of Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus. I've spent hours talking to both Dean and Tina's families for this podcast, and their suspicions about the Christ family group and Sister Susan are clear. However, I have to take a step back and say, authorities haven't named Sister Susan or members of the Christ family as suspects in any part of this crime, nor have I come across any evidence suggesting that they knew about the murders. Coming up in episode nine, Dean and Tina's families react to baby Holly being found. Just a blessing to be able to find out that she is alive. It's been a journey, a long journey. The miracle itself has been performed in finding Holly. While vowing to keep up the search for her parents' killer. But getting to the end of the story and getting justice, it's coming. I have a good belief in that. There's always hope, never give up hope. That's next on What About Holly? From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to What About Holly ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.